Do you ever think about utopia? Do you ever think about ethical dilemmas? Do you ever think about the other people on public transport? Do you ever think about the demise of civilization as we know it? Welcome to Do You Ever Think About? This week's episode is going to be about visual stimulation. Um, So I was wondering, Candice, do you ever think about visual stimulation? Not as, not in so much that terms, but I guess it is like just a part of something that happens like in life like I I, and I employ it as a thing like I'm looking at my desk right now and it's covered in pictures that I use to have inspiration and it's all like obviously I love having art around me so it is something that I guess I engage in but I had never thought about it in such sort of objective terms yes Mm. yeah I would say I'm probably the same way like obviously we are all as seeing people at least if if you're not blind um, you can you're visually stimulated quite frequently but I haven't really thought too much about the sort of underlying processes that might be happening in your brain or the different ways that people process visual information, which is something I started thinking about while researching this episode. Mm. So that's been interesting to think about. Yeah, I um, I had a similar sort of experience where I was researching because I came from the angle of art mm. um, and because it's something that I love uh, and kind of looking into the uh, this is what's happening in the brain and how it actually how what it's actually quite mind-blowing to think that something that somebody else has made whatever capacity that is whether it's moving art or uh, just visual art through painting or drawing the fact that someone can put marks on something and it can translate into an emotional reaction within the individual to me is just so beautiful and mm. just kind of like uh, what a tribute to what absorbing, crazy social creatures we are that we have such a function that we'd be able to do that. Yeah, that's a really good point. Like, not only do they communicate information, like uh, factual information with a visual medium, but you can actually communicate emotional information with a visual artistic medium, which uh, in a lot of a lot of ways, and this is something we've talked about before, can sometimes be the best way to communicate the idea to someone, you know, rather than trying to illustrate the idea in words or explain uh, something factually to a person, sometimes the best way to actually change their mind or, you know, expose someone to a new idea is to show them visually. Mm. Um, So I'm wondering what happens in our brains when we look at art, for example, well, I'll, just quickly, I'll start with my sources, which oh, yeah. came from an article in 2017 from Ashford University, which I believe is in San Diego, sure. California. Sure. <laughs> Never heard of it. Sure. <laughs> no, it, um, I, I'm, I'll just double check. Yes. Yes. San Diego. San Diego. San Diego. San Diego. Um, hang on. Wait. Yep. <laughs> San Diego it is. Perfect. Um. And a, another article that I read by Jacob Devaney from artofblaze.com, which has got a lot of Alex Grace. I was like, blaze it, man. Blaze nice. it. It's kind of the whole tone of the website. <laughs> nice. I, I loved it. I love it. <laughs> so, um, but what I will do is I'll go to this uh, Ashford University article and just because they had a really succinct sort of spiel, which will help us all understand a bit what's going on when your brain is on art, mm. which is a term that kept coming up. I'm like, Fuck yes, let's start talking about it like that. I like it. Okay, so starting off, a painting of a person is not a person. And we know this, yet our brains are able to immediately recognize on a canvas made up with just lines and shading that it's meant to represent a human being. And in fact, that is a really good uh, indication of our brain's like favorite thing to do, which is make sense of shit. It loves it. It really is all about it. And if if, if you need more proof, Take the time now, uh, listener, to look at any electrical socket in your house to see a slanty-eyed, morning face moaning at you if you're in <laughs> Australia. What is it in America? Oh, yeah. Quite it's surprised. Not, yeah, it's a... Um 
It's like a it's like a stoned face actually because it's like real. Um, the eyes are like slits because they're just straight up and down. Cat eyes, more like a stoned cat eye. <laughs> and of course, in the um, in in the endeavor for inclusivity, if that isn't what you see, please feel free to get a texture or something and put a face there. That would yeah. be great. <laughs> so wait, so you're saying that our brains seek out specifically faces? Not no, not just uh, faces, mm. but obviously that is a. Uh, first sort of run to because uh what's like evolutionarily recognizing faces means recognizing your same species Mm. and then further on to that your own family friend foe or danger yeah so so yeah having the easy recognition of a face which is probably why we see faces in 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 inanimate objects plenty yes yeah but it's not just that it just loves making Mm. um sense of anything it's actually really good at it as well so for that reason any any kind of art whether it's like a really realistic portrait or just abstract your brain just loves the challenge of trying Mm. to make sense out of it and seeing what it can find in it which is actually why abstract art actually has uh, and I'd kind of I I used to kind of really not be that into abstract art uh, but it's definitely grown on me and now I appreciate it much more for the emotional depth that it Mm. has when it's not exactly just an easily digestible picture and now I really love it. Um, But yes, but beyond the brain's skill at making sense of what we're seeing, the brain actually goes through physical changes when we look at art piece. Um, There were a couple of sources, mainly I was going to say the Telegraph, but there was, I was like, what's, is that even a good source? But it did pop (laughs) up in multiple places um, that supports that when you look at art, and it can be a painting, a sculpture or anything really, you experience increased blood flow to the brain as much as 10%, which is the same amount as when you look at someone you love. Ah, so, so when I look at you. <laughs> yes, that's right. As we gaze at each other. I wonder if that's, is that only art that you connect with? Obviously. I'm not sure. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, I'm not sure because I wonder, you don't necessarily have to connect with art to make sense of it. That's you could true. still look at something and be like, you know what? That's shit. Mm. But I understand what it's trying to say. Yeah, it is like evoking something. Even if it's not something you personally relate to, you can still get it. Mm. Mm. But further than that, it isn't just about making shapes um, that makes the thinking about art really quite beneficial in a lot of ways. We want to place ourselves in the artwork and this placement occurs through a process known as embodied cognition. Mm. Yes, which is when mirror neurons, and if we need a little recap on what a mirror neuron is, um, they allow us to learn through imitation and they enable us to reflect body language, facial expressions and emotions. They pay an essential part in our social life and yeah, pretty <laughs> to cover it all up, they're pretty, yeah. they're pretty important. So in which the mirror neurons in our brain turn things like action or movement or energy, which is like art jargon for whatever it is that you're looking at that just makes it off its tits, mm-hmm. whatever it is that's just singing to you, it actually uh, makes your neurons start firing off in the same area of the artist who was making the art. So essentially, oh. whether you're looking at art or making art, the same part of brain, like your brain, is yep. firing off. You're essentially giving your brain incredibly nutritious meal and giving mm. it the activities that it loves to do the most. Cool. It's really cool. And that's like this embodied cognition is also part of the experience of what we feel when we put ourselves inside art, whether that's a landscape and you kind of have this feeling of serenity if you're looking at a beautiful landscape or if you're in front of like a Jackson Pollock um, and there's a phenomenon of people feeling as though it was them that was flicking the art like Ah. flicking the paint on the art maybe after a messy divorce all I can think of is Eminem (laughs) just like flipping things going like fuck you Debbie (laughs) (laughs) which could or couldn't happen it probably did not happen at all like that Um, like and I'm just could be i'm just speculating mm. about eminem who i know so well <laughs> yeah but if you want to like practice go looking at art please take um advantage of the wonderful graffiti that's yes. like that floods all the walls and it and as it should be thank you to all our creative brothers and sisters who defy lockdown to go and make sure that we've still yes. got some good art thank you melbourne thank you melbourne <laughs> yep i love it yeah well i definitely feel like um the relationship like how much art visual art I should say makes me emote is 
overall actually a lot less than other types of art make me feel like I have uh, emotion or connection to. Um, and I wonder if that has something to do with being more sort of a tendency to be a visual person or be a, you know, auditory person or a, or a, a kinesthetic person or something like that. Because I feel like um, most visual arts, I really like things that are very pleasing to look at. Um, you know, especially like a lot of like we have a friend, she's a very, very talented abstract artist and I love her work and it's so full of like you said, movement and emotion and there's so many colors and it's very vibrant and um, but the, you know, the shapes are all very abstract. But when I look at, we have a beautiful piece of hers in our house. We actually have a few, lucky us. And when I look at the big piece we have in the lounge, I always see something different in it. But overall, it's just very calming to look at the piece itself in general. Um, so maybe that is, you know, a way of relating to it. But I've, I haven't frequently or very often felt the experience that I see other people getting from visual arts where you know you're really sort of overtaken by the, the the vibe of it and I wonder if that has something to do with like a natural kind of like preference that some people have to really take in emotional information that way or all information that way versus you know like the way that um you know you get moved like with chills with like a piece of mu music or um you know a, a narrative like reading a story or something like that um do you like do you find that that's like different for you well, I, I'm definitely moved uh, in instances by, by <laughs> as I've gotten older, I've become such a, um, such a wet blanket. Uh, not <laughs> a wet blanket, but like I, I cry at the drop of a hat now just because I'm utterly moved by so many things. Uh, and art has become something like that. Or I feel like, so any, and I wonder if it speaks more to just being emotional, like, because more life experience maybe may no i no. wouldn't say that mm. may oh like not about myself but like um <laughs> but maybe because i think it would probably be more of an emotional attachment to the subject of it and so therefore it would kind of transcend whatever mode it is done depending like just depending on how mm. effective it is because i've i i get moved to chills by uh visual artwork just as i do films and just as i do mu uh music mm. so and and actually just like a beautiful poem yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah absolutely tears. yeah yeah well because i feel like words tend to hit me a lot more than visual things in general whether it's hearing words or reading words words or saying words <laughs> which I like to do a lot um but I guess I'm just wondering more because this sort of uh, segues into one of the things I looked up which uh one of my first thoughts when we picked this topic visual stimulation was I was thinking about different learning styles and um how there was I, I know that when I grew up which was you know going to primary slash elementary school in the 90s um, that there was a lot of talk and like my mom who was a teacher used to talk about this a lot learning styles were a big thing so like we had we I was aware of my learning style as a kid and it was sort of constantly reinforced to me by my parents and it was something that was discussed in class you know where the teacher would say oh for those of you who are visual learners come up to the front so that you can see the graph better or something like that um, I'm not sure if maybe this was unique to the type of school that I went to, which was just a normal public school. But um, apparently when I was looking into the idea of learning styles, uh, it, it came out of the self-esteem movement in psychology in the 80s and 90s. And basically uh, the, the psychologist who sort of first brought the idea forward, Neil Fleming, who is from New Zealand actually, um, he sort of identified four different learning styles, um, which are visual, auditory, reading slash writing, and kinesthetic, which is uh, sensory, like touching and, and learning by doing. Yeah. Um, and because I always sort of gravitated towards words and writing when I was a kid, and I also was very auditory, sort of I liked music and I liked to um, talk about things, which is also part of the auditory one, um, I always internalized that I was not a visual learner and I never gravitated towards visual arts or things like that. I gravitated towards the arts, like, you know, music and acting, but I, I ne was never really into visual arts. Um, so I wonder how much that sort of framework, because I had this conditioning schema of telling myself that I'm not a visual person. Um, as I grew up, 
it's it's hard for it's I find it harder for me to process visual information than other types of information and I, I wonder if it's a chicken or the egg thing I guess is what I'm wondering about it because then it, it turns out that after this 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 idea of the learning styles um you know really was prevalent in the 90s and 2000s now that more research has been done into it actually turns out those are kind of bullshit <laughs> well because I was just thinking like uh, surely it's going to be one based more on the subject matter because mm. what is what's the tactile one the kinesia yeah kinesthetic yeah tactile, kinesthetic yeah there's not many ways that you can learn proper grammar kinesthetically yeah yeah like, that's true yeah that surely <laughs> surely it has to be like and not I guess that doesn't matter anymore millennials taking away the apostrophe <laughs> just after I learned how to fucking use it uh, <laughs> yeah and yeah absolutely they've done that haven't they Jesus um where I'm where I'm in the millennials it turns yeah, out yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah it turns out that we're the millennials we're bitching about yeah which means that we're um qualified to really give shit more than anybody else exactly I'm say. and I can complain about my the self-esteem movement kind of fucking millennials up a little bit as well yeah <laughs> but like I, oh, totally I would think the, the best way to do it would be for students would be to combine like okay learning styles as a concept does not seem detrimental because uh, I think being able to dissect it into categories and so that you can approach as many different subjects with as many combinations of all four is probably the most effective way of teaching kids rather than just telling them like you have no hope of learning this unless we do it because this you're way. a Hufflepuff yes yeah <laughs> Well, that, that's exactly what. So I'm I'm uh, reading from an article, a 2018 article in the Atlantic, um, called "The Myth of Learning Styles" by Olga Kazan, and um, that's exactly what it basically says here, which is that in terms of a, as an exercise, like a reflective exercise, to have kids sort of go, you know, think about, oh, what might my learning style be? Here are the different ways people understand information think about it which one do you relate to like for those purposes it's really good to get kids to sort of reflect on it and think about it but then it's the the problem is when you then go into a category and you're like okay well now you're this and it means you're going to have a really hard time learning from infographics or something like that which I think we as we get older we learn that those types of categories really influence people's uh total identity and like psyche as they grow up you know and that kind of isn't always a good thing <laughs> yeah well it's putting a limitation on what like you're telling someone that they are successful in one way and non-successful in another mm -hmm. and that it is an innate um and especially with learning styles uh that that is an innate uh trait yeah that you, you can't, can't change, change. Yeah. yeah yeah so good fucking luck yeah. but yeah i can as a thought exercise uh i think it's very very beneficial to at least get kids into the because let's face it like grammar mm -hmm. there's no way that that can be made super fun mm. as much as you want it to there's very little that can be done except like about participles yeah. and commas that's it's like just memorization fun. really yeah, that's yeah. it um and so the idea of saying that all these subjects are going to be able to be addressed in more than a couple of ways is really hard but at least having the option of kids knowing where their strengths lie and what they gravitate to more and so that they can creatively sort of start thinking and if like this is ideally if kids actually enjoyed school which yeah. is a real shame that they don't what a way to fuck up a great idea which is go somewhere and learn something cool yeah <laughs> like it's such a good idea in concept <laughs> but like being in the habit of having uh, being in the habit of realizing that there's multiple ways to learn a concept is really good mm. I think yeah. yeah and I think as a as a young learner when you're a kid um like anything less than holistic really doesn't really seem like it sinks in anyway you know like the you can't just you know you don't have kids well they used to do this before we learned about kind of uh more um you know, education as a two-way street rather than just having a teacher at the front of the room telling kids to memorize stuff. But, you know, what we do now in schools um, is is you, le you learn, you know, you'll, lear you'll do the reading and then you'll do a little activity and then you'll do a little role play, you know, and like this is like teaching kids about history where they'll read about history, then they'll do a project about history, then you'll maybe incorporate, you know, some sort of uh, math into the history of the days. And, you know, I think that's the more kind of holistic way that kids are, are taught things, I think, in the sort of in the best schools. Mm. Um, like I had a friend in who I went to uni with who went to a um, like an alternative type of school. And she told me that 
in their classes. So every subject, um, every year, sorry, of grades, there was a different kind of theme. And so, you know, when you were in 10th grade, the theme was the Civil War and like every class, even though it wasn't, it wasn't like you only learned history that year. It was like in science, they did the types of scientific experiments that people were doing at that era. That's cool. Yeah, like really awesome holistic way. And, you know, sort of in math, they would be doing like math that was relevant to that era. Um, um, I can see some pretty big holes like, yeah. like <laughs> yeah, yeah. in like civics. Women can't vote. Yeah, right? that's, yeah. <laughs> so how, yeah, like really horrible things like the three-fifths slave rule where like slaves only count as three-fifths of a person when they vote. So let's do some math based around this horrible racist yeah. like concept. Well, if, like, if Susan owns this much land, how long until she's taken away and being tried as a witch? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, um, you know, but but I think that what the students who went to that school, you know, ended up, first of all, everyone who went to that school ended up being such a cool, interesting, well-rounded person um, and all had very like, I found them to be very mature compared to how I was coming from my um, public school, which was a good public school, but not, you know, alternative in any sort of way. <laughs> um so yeah, that was kind of thing. Do, do you have any kind of learning style that you think you would gravitate to out of, or I've, that you've had uh, grilled into you? No, well, because uh, my schooling life was so disrupted, mm. like I've talked, uh, went to nine different schools, but changed schools 11 times. Um, and so it was something that I'd heard about, but it was one of those things which kids had been tested for or like evaluated more like um after I'd arrived so everybody Mm. else kind of knew like the only school that it came up in and I think they'd actually done it to a few because everybody else in a couple of different schools seemed to know what their learning style was Mm. and also the teachers were very aware of it um and so I didn't have it and I've thought about it afterwards because I've read uh books and there was this one list of like 101 things to think about instead of like whatever you're obsessing over at the moment and it's like it's a great list um and one of the things on it it was by Brianna Wiest who I've brought up before and she's a a fantastic forward thinker on emotional intelligence and how to like uh just evolve oneself just and it's a really enjoyable sort of stuff um but one of the things on her list was think about your learning or how you like to learn things and how you can apply that to other stuff in your life and so I've kind of been grappled with it Mm. but now uh like 12 years out of 12 years do I mean 12 years well no I don't I mean 14 years whoa I'm (laughs) old uh wait no is that like how old are you when you finish school I didn't finish school 17 (laughs) 17 yeah 17 yeah and okay yes math yeah so like 14 years <laughs> things we were both really good at in school evidently <laughs> um which is why we're trying to make a living talking yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um but it's something that I've thought of but this far out of school now have realized so that I learn in different ways depending on what the subject matter is because mm. I really enjoy seeing someone do something like on a work like on a work site or if it's really like um intensive uh with machinery sort of stuff I work a lot better and pick it up a lot quicker if I have a mentor or a teacher that I can work one-on-one on and they just show me the machinery show me how they do it and then I've got it it's easy oh so you don't but you don't need to like do the steps with them to learn it not really. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. that. So yeah. That's really interesting because in those kind of situations, I definitely need someone. I need them to tell me what to do while I try to do it at the same time. If I watch someone do it, it's like there's no computing happening there. Having said that, I need to do it with them there. Yeah, I can't. Yeah, yeah. I'm not just like yeah. Now let me spread my wings and fly, yeah. motherfucker. <laughs> like no, I need to make sure so that I've got the safety net of knowing mm. that if I fuck it up. They will be it's there. Because, to, yeah, it's because it's because they didn't teach you. Right. That's what I was God, yeah, no. And so I need to have them there as well because that provides the safety net to be able to relax and explore your own memory and be patient with yourself to be like you um, mm. and do it slowly and do the thing. But with other stuff, um, listening to it is way better because I realize that I've learned so much from podcasts. And when I think yeah. about it, like it was just a, a listening medium, and often I'm doing that when I'm doing other stuff. But I seem to absorb that knowledge quite well so 
I don't know, maybe just Jesus loves me. Yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> maybe well, I've got all of them. I, well, because I kind of feel the same. That's why I kind of think this, um, what this Atlantic article was saying, and I really agree with it, is that basically there's hardly anyone, even when they get evaluated for these learning styles, there's hardly anyone that's just all one or all another, unless someone is neurodivergent, in which case some people have really, really, ex- like sort of like um, maybe sensitive to ter- certain types of stimulation and so therefore other types are very good for them um, like I was reading a bit about how some autistic people are very easily auditory overstimulated or visually overstimulated and then the, the opposite one is the one that they they really can focus on and, and zoom in on really well mm-hmm. um, but in general um, for someone like me who's not ne- neurodivergent um, I there's definitely not just one learning style that I relate to and even visual things which I think I've been kind of told myself the narrative for myself is that I'm not a very visual person um one of the elements of the visual learning style is um liking to see the kind of systemic overview of something in terms of like as a flow chart or like an infographic and that is what I naturally do when I'm trying to like map out plans and ideas about things is that I'll sit down and draw out like the whole system which is so then I wonder if the application of that is like okay so if I'm learning something sort of factual and linear I can do it auditorily or I can do it through reading or I can do it through watching someone but if it's something that is not a non-linear subject then a visual representation is the best one Mm. do you do you relate to that I guess um I'm just trying to like yeah that sounds like something that I resonate with. Mm. Um, I'm just trying to think of like a specific example where I mm. could apply that, but I can't even, well, of like, and now that I'm thinking about it, apparently no learning styles work for me because yeah. I can't seem to recall a single <laughs> fucking thing. <laughs> well, like, okay. So think about like a, um, a, um, uh, like a, an ecosystem, for example, where you've got, I'm like picturing a, a poster that used to be in maybe a school that I went to or something where it had like the ecosystem of under the sea and it has you know the different fish in different places and like who eats who but it's not totally linear obviously because some Mm -hmm. some things eat multiple you know are are omnivores and so they eat plants and that affects the plant ecosystem and so those kind of maps like a mind map is like a really like you know has to be visual um for me Here's where I'm going, or just after my recent foray into my memory, which turned out to be a massive failure. (laughs) um, Now I'm wondering, like, how do we actually know any of them work? Because here we are. Like, tell me, can you remember anything about the ecosystem from that poster? Because, like, now we need to figure out if it's actually effective. Oh, yeah, I actually remembered it. Well, I remember a similar flowchart, and all I can remember is there's a cool picture of a platypus on it. (laughs) That's it. (laughs) Yeah, that's a good point. I mean... So what I recall of that flow chart is just the pictures of the fish, but I don't recall the information that was written on it. <laughs> so you've heard it here first, folks. All these educators can go get fucked. Yeah, <laughs> yeah fuck you, educators, like my mom and my dad. No, just kidding. We'll cut that. We'll cut that. <laughs> um, no, because now I'm thinking about it. There's all this talk about like uh, – what a learning style is but how do they collate that sort of information because honestly the only way to see if it's effective is to track all these students into like what could be a decade or decades after it's an interesting conversation because i'd never thought about this part like when we brought it up before as well i hadn't thought how well and this is the thing with schools Mm -hmm. is they're just um an experimental ground for whoever happened to get the microphone in whatever auditorium well away in like the education boards of whatever country mm. that are all talking about there's been groundbreaking yeah. uh, research um did you guys know that there's learning styles yes so we've been doing it really wrong um and we need to make sure that we're giving these kids the best childhood of their lives yes um, now that's that's actually a really good point is that edu- i think education kind of uh um paradigms shift and then all of a sudden you have totally new th- new techniques used in classrooms and so, and it's hard to even tell if those new techniques are working because you've got a different generation of kids that's learning it and they have so many other factors that are impacting what they, what and how they might be learning mm-hmm. that can you really separate like, oh, well, yeah, it's definitely this new development in learning styles, for example, or is it 
XYZ that was going on in the world when these kids were growing up? Or is it that we were in a recession and their most parents were unemployed and stressed out and so kids didn't learn very well that year or whatever? Yeah, like honestly, could it have come in? Uh, this is just a thought that yeah. I'm having right now as, as I'm saying it. Could the rise of uh, learning styles blindly coincided with the fact that all we all had the internet at home so we were able to double check things and then what they saw was rising test results and probably like mm. other certain things that they would have used as evidence to support their claim but it was actually the internet well that's a very good point and i would say maybe not internet but definitely multimedia stuff mm. because this was the early 90s and the idea that there was like he talked a lot about projection slides and PowerPoints and things like that. Uh, the original guy Fleming, who did this, the the learning styles, and he talked about how with the new multimedia technology that we have in classrooms, projectors and PowerPoints and whatever, is that um, you know impacting learning differently? And if you think back to the 1940s, well, that wasn't an option. I don't think they had PowerPoint slides and projectors and stuff. Maybe they had projectors back there, but but also that also the ideas about how what school is were really different back then, you know. So having multimedia and different ways of engaging with the content was not a subject that was really like part of education. But also, back I think then. that they did have um, well, maybe not like the '40s, but I think the '50s and uh, late '60s they had. Uh, those slides that you put on the because uh, oh, yeah. you can buy scientific slides of the and now I'm wondering could that have been more effective back then because it was totally yeah. like alien sort of things that they'd seen because you didn't have this worldliness if you wanted to go look at a picture of something from the Amazon you had to go track down a goddamn book in the library mm. an encyclopedia look it up alphabetically amongst the volumes of an encyclopedia and then look at it and be like that is a colorful fungus yeah. like and so maybe it could have been more effective because you are not oversaturated with all these foreign things that we normally see through the magic of art and the internet and everyone just sharing stuff like rotten.com mm. that was a real turning point for me. <laughs> <laughs> like, that was that if we want to turn like visual simulation that is something that has messed me up for life oh but i God. couldn't stop i loved rotten.com <laughs> what is rotten.com oh rotten.com was the site um in the late 90s or uh, mid to late 90s uh, at the birth of the internet, which was the first kind of site that I was aware of, I'm sure there were other things that just posted gross things. Like, oh. <laughs> like some guy, the first thing I ever saw on it was like a dude with a picture of his finger up his nose that was coming out his eyeball. Oh my God. And then like, like, you know how now really can, gory. You know, like, and yeah. yeah, like just seeing a, dis it was just the place to go. And it was, it wasn't like how you can consume pictures now it mm. was like dial up and so you're waiting for stuff to really to load like piece up. by pi pixel by pixel yeah. and it was like a list and you had to go into each list and then open it up and then go back to the home page oh and, go. and so you, you never knew what you're gonna get it was a really like turbulent <laughs> experience and so you'd show it to your friends or your little brother to oh, freak them out oh yes very good oh the early like wild wild west days of before your mom knew that's what you were doing on the internet did you ever um get those early email links to pages like Lemon Party. Ooh, Lemon Party. What's <laughs> Lemon Party? Oh, this is a one you haven't seen before. I think it was a bunch of naked senior-aged men doing sexual acts on each other, I believe. It was just like an image, just like a still image of just like old men yeah, doing sex acts on each other, and it was called Lemon Party, and I think it was like LemonParty.com or something like that. Oh yeah, <laughs> that made the rounds in middle school. <laughs> no, we had like Rotten.com was what. Um, yeah, I remember from here. I'd never heard of Lemon Party, but uh, that's funny. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, gross. More, more, more than anything, just gross. Yeah. Um, back on uh, visual stimulation, I wanted to ask you because this is something that. I thought of as well. So I read in a Vice article uh, the idea that there are two types of people in this world. Either you are when, say, I say the word apple, in your mind's eye, do you see a apple? Like, do you actually see the apple? Or is it more just that you have a feeling of an apple and you could describe it, but there's not... 
you know, the, the idea that like your mind's eye is actually seeing something. It's not really a, a visual image. It's just more of a sensation. Well, this is crazy because I didn't realize that there were different types of people until I was dating someone who didn't have a visual memory whatsoever. Mm. And so we'd have long conversations about it because I found it fascinating. And I think that I had the thing I hadn't thought about it before and then all of a sudden it muddied it up in the same way that you know how somebody says walk normal and then all of a sudden you can't remember what normal is is yeah yeah Yeah. it was the same thing it's like what do you think like and all of a sudden I was like I'm pretty sure I see an apple but now I'm thinking about an apple and how it smells so maybe I'm both or none I don't Mm. know uh but he had absolutely no uh way of seeing this picture and it used to frustrate me because I was like, so do you not think about my beautiful face? When yeah. <laughs> you don't picture me? Yeah. Because cause with me, it's like definitely 100% a visual. It's like I say apple and I literally see like with very deep detail an apple like turning, like rotating mm. on in a void in my mind's eye. And it's like if I said the word horse, then I have a horse and it's just in the void rotating for me to see from 360 degrees. Um, And similarly, when I would have to take tests in school, I would recall information. I think one of the reasons I was a very good test taker is because I would remember where on the page of my notes where the information was written. If I was like answering a question, I'd be like, oh yeah, that's right. I wrote that on the top half of the page on the right side underneath where I wrote something else and then I would like recall that page and that's how I'd remember stuff that's awesome but yeah thank you yeah that sounds sounds it's natural (laughs) (laughs) that's awesome but but like apparently this uh vice article that was talking about it said that actually it's people who are very visually artistic who do not see the image and it's people who are very uh you know, like so. So, like, I asked my friends who are who are who are more very visually artistic, design. You know, who design things and stuff. And I was like, okay, so when you know I say an apple, what do you see? And none of them saw it. So, what, was, how would they respond though? Well, they're they're just like, no, I do, like I, I asked Callum for example, who has a really good like he can visualize how parts go together and stuff. And he's like an edible rock shape. Yeah, yeah exactly. You know, he's just like he's just like I don't know. It's just an apple. And I'm like, okay, well, you're looking at a. Uh, he's working on his motorbike and he's telling me where something is gonna go. And I'm like, okay, well, aren't you visualizing that in your head? And he's like, no, I'm visualizing it like in space in front of me, like as I'm doing doing it. So. Something to do in my mind, there's some connection between being really good at like um, at like geometric objects in space, like in real human space is connected to not having the visual thing in your mind's eye. And then people who have the visual thing in their mind's eye, in my experience, tend to be more sort of uh, verbal and like words based people like you and I, Hmm. which is interesting. Because it's the opposite to me. It should be the opposite. Yeah. Well, this is the thing. Because I don't know. Maybe, I mean, maybe again, it's like a little bit of both. Like maybe there's it's a little bit of both. Because I'm not specific. just a words person as well. Mm. Like I, um, I draw and do a lot of stuff. But it's, yeah, that's um, true. Mm. So I was thinking, and this is what I was wondering. Because I seem to like, when it got introduced to me, and I still haven't been able to untangle it from my mind. Because now that I've, drawn attention to it I can't figure out what the fuck I do when I think about an apple now it's just like this weird mess of like apple skin mixed against a weird shit where I'm like I know they're curvy what ah. like so it's like since turn like talking to about it with this guy that I was seeing I can't examine my own uh collection of how I think about something now Interesting. and I like because I'd never thought about it before mm-hmm. and it's not as if like it scrambled it but now because I've put so much attention to it I'm like I can't even recall yeah, yeah how- you must have a mi- you, you probably have a mix of it then maybe it's like the that you feel the essence of the apple yeah. but you also <laughs> sort of see its skin up close in well, detail or something I, this is what I was thinking when you were saying because I definitely I can conjure the picture of an apple in my mind mm. which is something that this dude could not yeah um and so if I focus on it and really think about it but just naturally I can't figure out what it goes to first mm. um or at what well, or naturally and again it could be subject but what you were saying before about more visually inclined people and how that they um how they have it in their mind it 
without seeing it as an apple, but seeing it as the sum of its parts and seeing like deconstructing it would probably be more beneficial mm. to be able to represent that on paper. Ah. Because if you're not looking at it as a whole, you're looking at it as being like, right, well, the shading comes down here and you can see the little spots there. And it's kind of like, yeah. um, but I don't know. I'm just kind of speculating on someone else's brain. <laughs> no, I like that. I like that as an answer. Okay, we solved it. No. Yeah. <laughs> Next question. Yeah. <laughs> no, I li- that, that makes a lot of sense because um, that – I also relate to not being able to do that very well. And it's all just based on my own personal perception right That's now. That's all we can That's base That's all we can it talk on. about yeah. for, this, for this episode, this subject. But like when I think about my ability, uh, that makes me think about my own visual perception of the whole versus its parts because I also have a very hard time when I'm looking at something new that I've never looked at before I have a hard time breaking it down into its individual parts and not just seeing the whole thing. Even when it comes to like going into the supermarket and I'm looking for an item that I've never purchased before, so I don't know what the packet looks like or whatever, and I'm staring at the supermarket aisle, it's really hard for me to distinguish the individual items on the shelf and I have to like really like focus on looking at each individual thing and reading it rather than I think like uh or like another example of that would be like looking at the motorcycle that Callum's working on and he'll be like see how this part is going to move down there and I'm like no I can't uh, see how that is going to move down there like it's just not it's like all I see is the seat yeah. you know <laughs> that that reminds me of my friend who's on the other end of the uh, how do you say, like information gathering via like whatever the spectrum the spectrum say, yeah. <laughs> um, other end of the spectrum uh, who she's really good and it was crazy. She's really good at being able to pick out inconsistencies in a whole lot of things that look the same. Oh. So for her, and she, she did it time and time and time again while we were in the UK. She just looked down and be like, there's a four leaf clover. There's another one. There was a, and then I was like, that's oh. insane. Cause I cannot find a four leaf. I've been looking no. my whole fucking life and I've never found one. I thought that was, it wasn't. Yeah. Um, I thought there was wasn't definitely happened yeah. um but she and she was saying like yeah yeah i've take, take, like taken tests and stuff they've evaluated that she has that part of her brain is way more developed uh, like the sort of like picking out the the individual from a lot of something especially when they look the same she just like over yeah. and over and over again she can just find them they're apparently they're everywhere yeah yeah right god i've definitely never found a four-leaf clover although i've probably never looked for one either i've tried mm. more than i want to admit yeah I spent a lot of time did yeah. you try in ireland yeah of course i tried yeah. in ireland because <laughs> like, i thought like you know what it's my time and if i ever i was like it would actually make up for the fact that i've never found one in my life yeah if i found one here is my whole life is leading up to this failure <laughs> yeah. and yet you did not find yeah i yeah i've never found although i'm good at finding ground scores at parties but Same. i think that's a really particular thing that i'm good at identifying well like i'm good at finding ground ground scores at parties but that's because i have a torch and i make it a point to look yeah that's right yeah, yeah. it's actually a very enjoyable activity for me it's treasure hunting it's the yeah. best Well, that's perfect, actually, because speaking of parties, parties are the perfect natural habitat for certain things like, well, very stunning visual pieces of artwork and also a kind of internal artwork of hallucinogens and its effects. Is there anything that you wanted to say about (laughs) that, my dear Merida? Well, yes, again, another first thought I think we probably both had about this topic was the visual stimulation that occurs with psychedelic drug experiences that we may or may not have experienced ourselves or we've maybe just heard other people talk about it been around people seeing swim you know (laughs) someone who's not me or whatever that is yeah someone Um, named shandis yeah that's right um but uh typically you know there's a lot of um visual um stimulation and hallucination that comes with certain psychedelic drugs and I didn't actually look up what that is, but I did find this really interesting article in LiveScience.com by Bahar Golipur, which was published in 2018, um, called, titled, What Do Blind People Quote Unquote See When They Take LSD? Mm. Um, and it's about a report of a, um, a man who was born blind and his uh, alias is Mr. Blue Pentagon, <laughs> who um, there was a, a case study on this man um, who 
who basically he was born blind, so he's never actually had any vision to um, interpret to be like elucidated when he takes LSD. Um, so for him, the experience of the drug was um, it, it, it gave sort of depth to a lot of the things he was hearing. And he had a very synesthesia type experience where um, the 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 physical sensations of music, for example, that he listened to were, were heightened. And one of the things he said was that he, uh, he said, the music of Bach's third Brandenburg concerto brought on the waterfall effect. I could hear violins playing in my soul and found myself having a one hour long monologue using different tones of voices. LSD gave everything quote unquote height. The sounds coming from songs I would normally listen to became three-dimensional, deep and delayed. Yeah. And so, and like you can only, all we can really do is imagine what that might have felt like, but I can think about some other experiences of um, psychedelics that are not LSD that have given me the feeling of being in this three-dimensional space, um, which isn't necessarily a visual feeling, but more of a sensory kind of feeling of like falling. And I wonder if maybe that's what Mr. Blue Pentagon was experiencing because he didn't have the visual kind of cues to kind of tether him to uh, like the place and, and the mm. location where he was sitting in. Um, Very interesting. Yeah. You know what else has always really interested me um, about people that were born blind mm -hmm. is that they smile as well. And so it's this weird thing yeah. that they, like, they've never had, uh, like that it is really just an innate human reaction to joy or a range of things. But like, yeah, people that have been blind their whole life still smile and still have just as much facial. They start, they still pull the facial uh, expressions that anyone would mm. uh, without the lifelong visual cues. Yeah. Which yeah. I find fascinating. So yeah, it's fully just instinctive. And uh, there obviously would have been an, evolutionary purpose for it I mean because even if that person can't see people can see them and so even if you you know haven't got sight there are people who are viewing you so it's it's beneficial for evolution to have facial expressions and I guess the yeah. like the because you never know why someone might might be born blind mm. whether that was a deficiency that happened in the womb or whatever that mm. kind of stuff and so the one individual's case isn't going to stem the evolutionary like no, evo yeah. like the evolution that's happened yeah, to the, the species right up until that individual it doesn't negate at all yeah that's right yeah yeah you would have to have been probably i wonder if there are people who are born without the ability to have facial expressions though which like would be like a different gene or something like that mr blobby yeah <laughs> or like um people who have face blindness have you heard of this no oh is that uh like i read is it oliver Sacks in the man that mistook, mistook his, his wife, wife for a hat, hat. yes <laughs> oliver Sacks, god damn it you've yes. done it again yes uh yeah that was a fascinating read um what is the face blindness well again i'm just uh going off the top of my head but yeah the idea that uh, people can't recognize and distinguish different faces from one another and it's actually a, a it can be i think it's usually an acquired brain injury um, where there's just a certain part in your frontal lobe that, um, which is where all of the sort of connections processing, you know, the higher kind of brain functions occur, um, and something just doesn't connect and you don't, and basically probably what's happening is that we have the more primitive parts of our brain in the back, which are attuned you know through evolution to recognize faces so we're always going to be able to reckon so a person who has face blindness is going to be able to recognize what a face is mm. because that's like really 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 in there in the primitive part of your brain but the front part of your brain isn't making the connection between the memory of what that specific face connects uh, who that specific face connects to so you're basically going through the world as if everyone has the same face I think mm. even maybe yourself I'm not sure if people who have face blindness see themselves in the mirror as the same person or well what but that's interesting I know a, um I know a chick who had a uh psychiatric breakdown and she, like uh very severe where she couldn't recognize her own face whoa it's and like it passed and she did recover from the whole thing but like during the psychotic episode she couldn't recognize her own face in the mirror and it is actually it's a terrifying. it's yeah it is um, um and it is a serious uh a symptom of severe psych uh, psychological distress. Mm. Like, I really wish, I hope now that, you know, we're sort of out of the dark ages of psychedelic research that 
more studies are done about what's going on in your brain when you're having these psychedelic visual hallucinations because from previous research that I've done and heard about it, we don't know. Like, we don't know why it is that people see the same types of symbols. Like, we don't really know why, like, what is actually happening in your brain um, to produce these images that for everyone are pretty much the same. Like, Mm. there's a, there's pretty much, like, specific imagery that every person's going to see. And, like, my intuition about it was always that um, the reason that I see, you know, the first time I may have taken a hallucinogen, I saw the uh, trippy, you know, psychedelic patterns that I did see. I always thought it was because I had consumed media that represented that. And so when I finally took the drug... It was just my brain remembering that time I saw a representation of it and putting that together to make it my representation. That's kind of what I always thought was happening, mm. where it was sort of just a self-fulfilling prophecy. But I think that's probably not true because you look at like indigenous art and things like that, which have representations of these, you know, like, uh, you know, peyote or something like that. And, and a lot of it is the same kind of imagery that, you know, surely they weren't watching that 70s show and seeing the trippy swirls that happen, you know. <laughs> I have a theory about like tie-dye t-shirts mm. um, and about that they probably took off just after, like, I reckon it was the drugs that came first in the drug culture before tie-dye t-shirts. But... All of a sudden, you know, when you're in that space and it's just like gentle colors swirling around behind mm. your eye, uh, behind your eyelids. Um, I reckon the whole tie dye t-shirt came off because someone figured it out, and then everybody was like, "Holy shit! I've seen that in my head. Yeah. I've seen those colors." And you figured out a way to make it tactile, and for me to make it somewhat of a personal yeah. flag to represent and find my tribe of weird trippers. Love it. Absolutely. But yeah, I would. I would love to know what is actually happening in your mind to produce like visual effects in your own mind mm. when you're like or dreaming. Like, yeah. I wonder if it's the same area. I feel like they'd have to be at least neighbors. Do you dream? I've just it's just kind of popped in my head, but after yeah. this whole Apple talk, do you yeah. dream? I I um I definitely dream uh, when I am going to bed unintoxicated. Oh, okay. She's um, gonna stop it. Yeah. Going to bed. I'm like, well, no, that's, no, great. No. that's the best place to do it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So um uh, and and typically I have very very vivid dreams. If if I'm going to remember my dream, it's going to be like a whole thing. Okay. Um, but I don't always dream because sometimes I go to bed and I've got like booze or something else in my system so yeah yeah, yeah I don't really dream much particularly if I'm uh, intoxicated but just in general I really don't I'll have like one or two a year mm. and they're really vivid and generally um at a time where I've been mulling something over or something's quite critical in my mind and it will either be like um like I had one the last dream I remember is probably like four years ago and it was just yeah it was a really uh it was actually quite beautiful it was set in the desert and there was a really gnarly tree and my ex-boyfriend was there and it was just like we had a great conversation and he went one way and I went the other and that was it and it was just like this like for me dreams are a psychological reflection on how I feel about a situation and often just like telling me it's like right you're over it and it's like sweet done Ah, and you like (laughs) came to the like you went to like the tree of unity yeah That's really cool. Mine are way more stressful than that. I pretty much only have dreams about like, or like when I remember them, it's never like a mundane thing. It's always like, there's basically two, two subjects. Either I am trying to leave somewhere and I cannot get all my shit together to get out of there. So it's like the whole dream is me like stressing out that I'm late and I like keep going into, I'm always somewhere where there's lots of rooms. I'm like in a hotel or I'm in some big country house or I'm like in my old school or something like that. And I'm always somewhere with tons of rooms and I'm always trying to gather a bunch of shit and either I literally can't walk fast, like I'm walking and it's like concrete on my feet Or the other type of dream is where I am trying to say something and I can't and I just keep hysterically crying. They say sound deeply (laughs) psychological. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's like not very hard to interpret what that could be. It's like I'm trying to like, it's usually probably like I'm trying to work through something in my head that I'm really stressed out about, obviously. Yeah. Um, So yeah, not very, not not too much hidden information there. (laughs) Yeah, no, like it's weird. And I wonder... 
Because apparently we can't dream up new faces and faces mm. like every face that you've ever seen in your dream is just either if it was a snapshot of like someone that you've seen on the street. But again, all these fucking scientific notions, how did we get to that conclusion? How yeah. could you possibly know that you haven't conjured up a face? Yeah. How could you possibly know that they are the ones that you see on the street? It's like to me, it's such a weird. It's sort so of anecdotal. Like, it's yeah. so and it's like, how could you because you could we like even then. You're basing that on someone's recollection that they've told you after a dream. And we all know that's iffy. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, at best. <laughs> you know why? Because they were asleep during the actual thing. We're actually taking cues from the person that's asleep. Yeah. The brain's weird and deep and fascinating. This uh, like visual sort of thing, it seemed like such a wide, vast topic, but now like actually thinking about it, it's kind of so hard to sort of dissect mm. how it actually does have an effect on you because now I'm looking around being like, what isn't visual stimuli? What is like, yeah. when I look, oh, sorry about That's that, right. damn um, what isn't visual stimulation is reading stimulation or is that something completely mm. di- like different entirely is just looking at a sunset visual stimulation does or, it have to be something made? Yeah. I think the um, maybe visual stimulation. Oh, I love that we always try to define things. This is great. <laughs> well, I did look up stimuli before. Oh, nice. Uh, which I will. In the trust and you thought yes. we wouldn't get the dictionary yes. out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. This part where I try and remember the ABC. Mm-hmm. Stimulus. Uh, yeah. Stimulate first is to make more vigorous or active or to apply stimulus to which is again another shitty great uh, work dictionary yeah but if we scroll down to stimulative which is an adjective for stimulating (laughs) (laughs) but then we move on to the actual goods which is stimulus um something that rouses a person or thing to activity or energy or that produces a reaction in an organ or tissue of the body Mm. okay so like visual so okay that that helps because not everything you look at or see is visually stimulating. Stimulating has to be where it rouses you to do something. And so, like, most visual stimulation is going to be things like, um, like, out of all the things I've looked at today, this thing that I looked at was the thing that I remembered. So that was, like, the stimulating part of it. Or, you're, you know, you're walking through a gallery and you see a bunch of stuff that you don't like and then you find the one that you do like mm. and that's the, like, really scratching the itch, visually stimulating connection uh, part of it. Conversely, mm. uh, just mulling now, because uh, the dictionary said a stimulation of an organ or body part. Mm. Conversely, I guess that means that stimuli could be if you see a danger and your heart starts going rapidly. Mm. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah and just bypass But I guess that's all going through the brain anyway yeah <laughs> <laughs> you gotta go through that there's no yeah. way around that's yeah sorry sorry that's like the computer yeah it all works through uh, that's just me just going like no i'm pretty sure the heart is located just behind the eyeballs yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know the way to my heart straight <laughs> through the eye <laughs> you know the window to the soul mm. tits of the brain yes <laughs> very stimulating oh. well, no, like, i'm kind of looking at my desk now because mm. we're uh, doing this from my little apartment and just like just kind of appreciating the weird collection of collage that i've put around my workspace um and i've never really appreciated it for actually anything like it's just what you do yeah. it's just what i've always done when you've kind of got a creative space or something you have to sort of flood it with stuff that reminds you of better things or yeah. inspiration and so I agree. Yeah. It, you know, it's funny. I definitely become much more of a minimalist in terms of how much stuff I've got on my walls, like in my house and how much, how many little like trinkets and knickknacks I've got around. Cause I think when I was younger and I would decorate my room in a share house, for example, mm-hmm. I just had, I had stuff everywhere. You know, there was just stuff to look at everywhere. Every bit of the wall was covered with a poster or whatever. Um, and now that, uh, it's funny because I kind of stopped doing that when Callum and I moved in together because he likes things very clean and minimal. And so we just in, in just more intentionally decorated our house with like actual art from our friends and stuff that we really love that we, you know, so it's not just like posters hanging up everywhere that are falling down and shitty. Yeah. Um, but I do. Ne- so now that I'm used to that, um, 
now I feel like I'm getting more, I get more easily overstimulated when I walk into a place that is really decorated. Yeah. So I wonder if that's also something that you could, that changes as you, as you get older, that's something that you can adapt to where you can get, you could be a person who doesn't normally feel visually overstimulated, but if you don't have much to look at for a long time and then you know you sort of relearn what is comfortable yeah that makes sense well because I know what you mean I because I've purposefully made it like I used to be very much the same and Mm. now I'm very like particular about what goes on my walls particularly I don't really like unframed posters yeah yeah. I I like framed stuff now or just like hanging stuff but it's just around the workspace especially like it seems really it just didn't even seem as a, a second thought I'm like no I need to because I need to look Well, and that's what I did in my home office was I ended up putting up a bunch of my stuff on the walls and some little, you know, sewing things that I'd done up on the walls. Because for that same reason, I was like, no, this is my creative space. I want to have like visual inspiration and stuff around. Yeah. And it doesn't feel cluttered in that room. No, and I don't feel like my workspace feels mm, no. cluttered. It's quite, it's quite nice. Um, and this makes for great audio as well. Yeah, Everybody. guys. <laughs> Should we describe what's on each shelf over there? <laughs> no, well, do you know what? You can tell a lot by the visual stimulation that someone chooses to put around their office. And I remember reading in like, oh my God, I used to read the craziest things in like Clio magazines. Some of the most irresponsible articles I've ever read. Like one was telling you how to hoodwink a guy and what things you should have in your music collection and like a little script to read about this. to trick someone. Yeah, so that you had like Johnny Cash or something in your CD collection and it came with a little script of like, yeah, I like this album. So like it just had like five albums for like you to be able to parade them in front of a guy. Oh my God. There was another one that was like a similar vein of how to trick your work mates into thinking that you're a nicer person oh my god you are. and one without fail was like because i've seen this now that i like read it somewhere i've seen it in multiple things yeah. about like how to be better received in your workplace so weird put a picture of you and a dog on your on your desk because Don't people have to be your dog because <laughs> it doesn't of course it doesn't have to be your dog of course and if you're willing to read like articles like that um and yeah it's basically like how to have a personality when you don't actually have one like do this exactly and so like the whole thing was people subconsciously equate dog people with friendly more welcoming people and so just steal a dog for a day don't tell your workmates that bit and then put a picture of yourself with the dog on your desk and you like this um there are rules like that for tinder for guys as well like for dating apps where it'll be like you know oh so if you want a girl to think that you're not a creep like have a photo of you with a dog or a baby have a photo of you with a bunch of girlfriends like female friends to show that like look see women aren't afraid of me (laughs) (laughs) see look women want to be around me or like or like you and your mom where it's like see look I have a good relationship with my mother I'm not a sociopath (laughs) yes Yes. Pictures do tell a thousand words, but those thousand words can be very easily manipulated. Yeah, and they have to be genuine with like, it's so bizarre that you would have a magazine telling someone to just be like, don't have an actual music taste, just mimic what we think men like. It was insane because I remember like, I don't I don't ever buy those magazines, no. but I love reading a trashy magazine in a doctor's um, surgery or all that kind of stuff just to pass the time and pretend I'm better than anybody that buys them. <laughs> um, but it's, they're interesting. But they're also like $10. Like, fuck that. Yeah, I know. It's like, who's going to spend that? Yeah. Yeah. But like, there's, yeah, in Clio and all those kind of stuff, there's whole sections or girlfriend like magazine, which was our preteen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Stuff. They used to have a sealed section of how to, attra- like, Sealed section specials, which can tell you about sex or just tell you how to get a boyfriend. And yeah. it's like, this is weird. Is there anything else that you wanted to say about visual stimulation? Stimuli? No, I think we've we've covered a lot of the things that I had kicking around in my head about it. I've got more questions now that I really want to know about like what what the mind's eye is that happens in your dreams slash when you're like hallucinating same um mm. we started this off and i was like this is lighthearted and fun but now we've talked about it more i'm kind of like god i wish we had someone who knew that what they were talking yeah. about <laughs> hey and so if you're that person <laughs> if you've been listening to this and going like oh my god they are just so wrong about what <laughs> is happening in your brain um <laughs> this is the perfect opportunity to join the conversation and write into us 
because what we've kind of would like and vision for this uh, podcast is we started it because we wanted to really get the essence of just the fun conversations that you have at parties or with friends or all that kind of stuff. So we'd really like some audience engagement so that we can get some more conversations going. We'd love to maybe one day have a mini-sode episode where we're actually talking about the dialogue that happens. So please, please feel free to send in. There's a voicemail service. So if you don't feel like texting, that's cool. Just like call in, blab a bit, hang up. Super easy, super lovely. And it all goes to a phone which keeps your number anonymous. Can't promise anonymity for mail, for the Gmail account, but we won't. I promise I won't. Well, if you do want to remain anonymous, then just specify that. Yeah. Yeah. So if you say, oh, actually, like, I want to tell you this story, but I don't want you to tell the world who I am, then just write that in the email. Or put like an alias, like Blue Pentagon. Exactly. Yeah. You could be Mr. Blue Pentagon, Mrs. Blue Pentagon. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So yeah, the the whole point is that we wanted to have an engaging kind of conversation because the question, do you ever think about stuff, is something that we want our listeners to answer as well. Especially if it's something, and especially if it's something that you actually know a whole lot about, Uh, would love that kind of feedback and information. Hit us up. Or if you just have a strong opinion about it, really anything. And with that, that about wraps it all up. So we're going to leave it there and we look forward to hearing you next week, except you'll be hearing us. (laughs) But hopefully we'll hear from you. Yeah, no, that's the point. (laughs) And that was visual stimulation. Hope you found it stimulating. Have a great day. Hey, thinkers. Thank you so much for supporting our show. We would really appreciate it if you could hit follow and share with anyone that you think might enjoy it as well. Big thanks to someone for designing our graphics and Scotty Rudderman for uh, mixing our opening track with music from Frook. Once again, please write in your thoughts, your experiences and your stories. These are for our upcoming mini-sodes where we revisit the topics from your perspective. Our contact details again are do you ever think about mail at gmail.com or 0499 860 397. Till next time, keep thinking.